This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last episode, which was a couple weeks ago, we talked all about narrative-based intervention. So if you guys haven't taken a listen to that, we suggest you go listen. But then we took a couple weeks off, which was much needed for the holidays and break and just some overall relaxation. But we are back for another episode. We are talking about goals in a couple different ways. So Claire and I wanted to start this episode talking about our goals or New Year's resolutions that we have set for ourselves in 2021. Um, should I go first? Yeah, you should. <laughs> I, I was just telling Rachel, I'm like, I have not, I usually sit myself down and really try and reflect on like my goals from last year and how I did, um, where I think I am at now and where I want to be next year. And I just haven't yet had the time to do that. So I'm still, I'm still kind of marinating with my goals here. So Rachel, I'll let you go first and then I'll let you guys know what I'm thinking of. Okay. So the, I try and set, I'm trying to look cause I save them in like the notes section mm-hmm. on my phone for each year. And I have them going back to like 2017, but it looks like I usually set like four to six. Um, this year I did travel to three places we've never been. And I always have a travel one on there and looking back, it was like, seven, eight places. And I don't know, I just feel like traveling with children is more difficult. So um, I tamed that down to three. The next one is to hopefully move. Um, We're like very quickly outgrowing our three bedroom house with one child here and one child on the way. So which if our podcast is another goal, don't know, Rachel is pregnant with her second. I don't even think we've said that on the podcast yet. So I don't surprise. think we have, I think you said it yeah, on your Instagram. I'm, so if you guys follow Rachel on Instagram, I think you probably know, but yeah, she's yes. expecting so exciting. in June. Yes. Yeah, so we're super excited for that. So, um, a larger house and more space would be great. So that's another goal. Um, the next goal I've had for the past couple of years, and I've met it in different ways and I leave it kind of vague. So, um, that goal is just to further my career in some way. Um, in the beginning, it was just like becoming more established and figuring out how to be an SLP on my own, like in the CF year. Um, and then one year it was, I became department head, um, for all of the SLPs in our district, which I love doing. And then as you guys know, last year for 2020, it would be starting a uh, private practice and this podcast. So I have that on here, but it's kind of vague. I don't, I don't really have, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet, but I'm excited. Um, the next one is, this was a big one for me. 
I put to be patient with my growing family and show myself some grace because a lot of times I'm like, things have to be perfect and it has to go like this. And for those of you that are parents already, you know that that is not realistic whatsoever. So that's one of my goals. Um, And then the last one is just to make an effort to establish healthier habits, whether that's like better eating habits or more frequent exercise or whatever that may look like. So those are my five goals. That's so great. You're so organized. Mine's not going to be that great, but the number one, one, number one, one I'm thinking of, um, is to decrease my screen time. I feel like the pandemic has been horrible for me in that. I mean, it's been horrible for other reasons, but in the area of screen time, I sit all day long on telepractice with my clients. And then Mm -hmm. I sit again with my private clients later. And then I watch TV and then I'm on my phone. I just feel like my eyes don't get a break. And it's so hard because we're working from our computers. Um, But when you look at all of the space that we are, there's no space for anything but screen time. And it's just, it's really gross when I think about it. So that's, that's my biggest thing is to try and decrease that. Um, and that leads to my next goal, which is just typical of reading more. I'm going to try, um, and read more books because I think that's a good eye break. I'm also going to try and find other hobbies that don't involve screens, excuse me, screens, because I think, um, that's hard during a pandemic as well. Like, what do you do that doesn't involve a screen? You can't go out. Um, Mm -hmm. so I picked up this, it was in the target dollar spot for $3, this crochet beginners crochet kit. I'm going to see how that goes. (laughs) Um, I thought, yeah, isn't that crazy? I found it like right before new year's three bucks for this little, like, um, it was, it's a circle with like the little pin or whatever. And some some yarn, it's just like a beginner's (gasps) wheel. And so I'm going to see how that goes. Maybe I'll get into it. I don't know. I love it. Yeah. Just something different and fun, you know? And then the last one that I've really trying to been to trying to think on, um, is similar to Rachel's just trying to further my career. So same as Rachel, I'm not sure what that's going to be. I've been trying to think a lot about it. Um, Rachel and I both joined special interest groups though. So I think that will really help push us. I've I've always really wanted to pursue some sort of specialty. Um, so the special interest group I joined was fluency. So I, I kind of hope to go in that direction of um, furthering my career in that specific area right now, at least, and then go from there. So that's what I got right now. I'm sure when I sit down and look at it, I'll have more, but. Those are very good, like on the fly goals. And also going back to the screen time one, the for those of you that have iPhones or maybe Androids or whatever do this also, but that weekly screen time report that it sends you on like Sunday or something, it it hurts my it soul. It hurts, right, now. Oh, right? It hurts like it hurts to my core when I look at it. And here's it's- the thing: I justify a lot of it because I'm like, okay, well, we both run the um, our shared Instagram, then we run our own. Then I'm also on my phone extra for like emails and stuff right now and texting or calling coworkers, but still my number is not good and I'm not going to share it because I'm no, a me neither. ashamed. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. And that's why like, I like it because it gives me a nice little reminder and it kind of kicks me in the butt a little bit. Like, Hey, you really got to figure this out, which is mm-hmm. why I needed to be a goal. But, um, so 
obviously this is not the time of year that we're all making new goals for our students, but we all make goals for our students at some point. And it may be IEP season, excuse me, IEP season for you, or maybe it's in the summer or who knows when you, I feel like every job I've ever been in, there's always been like a season when the goals are due, even an outpatient, for some reason, all of my uh, progress reports came up at the same time. And it just, Mm -hmm. it just happens like that. So regardless of where you're at, I feel like it just happens that um, you got to figure out new goals for your kids at the same time. So we wanted to kind of touch base on how Rachel and I make our goals. We're going to go through a broad scope of what we try and make sure we include in our goals and then some specific areas for um, disorder areas that we will make some goals and give you guys some ideas for. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about was smart goals, going back to grad school. I'm sorry (laughs) about this. Um, I work at a university, so we teach our grad students this and we talk a lot about using smart goals. So that's in my head a lot. And I think it, it really helps you guys because you really have to think about goals. They can't just be, they will produce the S sound. Like you can't just do that. You really have to think about different parts of it. Um, so SMART stand, it's an acronym, essentially it stands for specific that's S, which means what are you trying to accomplish? You really want to look at long-term versus short-term here too. Um, for our students, we have them have like one long-term broad goal. So they will, they will increase their ability to to effectively communicate and then a short-term goal under it. How are they going to get there? Um, so you really want to be specific with, especially those short-term goals, even if you have a more broad long-term, um, M is for measurable. So how are you going to meet it? We're going to talk a little bit about percentages here in a little bit and kind of throughout it, but you really need it to be measurable. Obviously you want it to be attainable, which is a, so this means you don't want it to be too out of reach. Um, but you also want it to challenge to push to mastery level. So for example, if a child is 0% stimulable for a sound, setting a goal for 80% of the word level might not be super realistic. If you're trying to do that in like six months, um, I it's been a while since I've worked in a school, so it might be realistic because you have a whole year for an IP goal, but it's still, it's hard when, when they come to you and they are not producing a sound at all, the likelihood that they're even going to get to 80% is pretty low. So I usually start even at like the syllable level for that. So they'll produce the sound at the syllable level with 80% accuracy, or I've done before they'll produce it at the word level with 50% accuracy, because you really want them to be successful with these goals. You want to be able to give the parent a progress report that says, look, they met this goal. Like that's so exciting. Even if it's only 50% and there's still some work to be done. I think it's really important to set those realistic percentages. Um, yeah, I think, and Rachel thought the same things too, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, I would say majority of my goals that I write. So I'm in a school. Um, I do have three self-contained rooms and for those students, I usually do 60 or 70%. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because I have students in that room that are working on articulation language and social goals or something like that. It's usually a combination. Um, for my gen ed students, it's usually 80%. Um, It's definitely not like a one size fits all approach though. So, and same with apraxia for some of my kids, um, with apraxia setting those high percentages is again, not realistic because especially with apraxia, depending on how severe they are, 
um, that could really fluctuate depending on Mm -hmm. the day, depending on the week, the month that really their, their progress really ebbs and flows. So it kind of, you need to pay attention to that. Um, R is for relevant. So this is meaning that it's important to the client's life and their needs. So going back to apraxia real quick, that's something where you really need to think about, um, you know, what is important for that child to say, if they are minimally intelligible, you need to talk with their parents and say, okay, what is our goal for them to say? Maybe it's their name. Maybe it's thank you. Maybe it's bye-bye. Maybe it's hello, but simple phrases like that. What is important for them to say, to communicate effectively on a day-to-day basis? Yes, it's important that they get their G's and K's, but if there's a deeper, effectively communicating issue there, Mm -hmm. we really need to look at that and make it relevant to their life. The other thing I was going to say is it's really important to break down these goals for families because a lot of times in IEP meetings and stuff, I'll read the goals and the parents will be like, okay, so what does that mean? Right. Because it's filled with a lot of jargon and numbers and Mm -hmm. this many sessions with this kind of prompt and whatnot. So I think it's, yeah, it's important to break down. Like these are the main things that we're working on and Mm -hmm. these are the supports that we give while we're doing it. Yeah, definitely. And then the last, uh, letter in the acronym T is time-based. So when do you want the goal to be met? So this, this changes, to be honest, depending on where you're at and what, where you're working, what they want you to do. Cause I know like in an IEP, it's already laid out when you want them to meet the goal. It's at the front page of the IEP. Um, in the outpatient, we didn't totally say specific dates. Uh, ours was more so, I guess, just every six months, but we didn't do a specific date where I am now, um, in a university setting, we say a specific date and it's exactly either three months or six months from their treatment plan update or from when they were originally evaluated. Um, so generally I feel like six months for some sort of clinic but then a year, obviously for an IEP, but you want to know when this is going to be met by, you're not just going to target this goal forever and ever and ever and ever, because you will feel very unorganized. So you want not just for the child, but for yourself to give yourself some, um, chance with progress monitoring. Cause that's really important as well. You want to make sure that you set a time for those goals. Yeah. I usually, I mean, since I'm in a school, ours, are a year, but I have gotten IEPs from different districts or counties or even states that, so like say the goal is um, they're working on synonyms. So the goal will be in six months, they'll have synonyms at 60%, but at a year's time when you would be having the annual IEP, it'll be at 85 or 90 or whatever they set. I don't really like writing it like that. It makes it hard again for progress monitoring because then like, okay, they met the goal. So then they have this goal that they've met for the next three. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess it just depends. I I really think it depends on where you work and who you're working with. Um, But I think regardless, you want some sort of time to organize yourself for that. For sure. And then the last thing just kind of fluff about goals that we wanted to talk about was kind of like a goal formula. So 
when I was working in the school, um, they required two units of measurement. I don't know if that's normal because it's the only school I ever worked in. Um, but so for example, you had to have percent of accuracy and also out of how many sessions. So you had to have at least two units of measurement. You couldn't just say they will produce the L sound in the initial position with 80% accuracy. You had to have in four out of five sessions at the end of it. Um, and you had to have that. That was like a school thing. I don't know if, and that's what they told me when I got hired. So I don't know if yeah. Rachel, you've seen anything like that in your school, but for me, that's how it was. Um, so our district is one unit of measurement okay. and surrounding districts are that way. Mm -hmm. I would say it's rare that I see, um, like an out of state or out of um, district IEP with mm -hmm. two, but it does make sense. Yeah. I can see where they're coming from. Yeah. So I guess just know that you want to make sure that all of the professionals in your school or in your clinic are writing them the same way. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned too, because if your schedule changes and you have to pick up a new kid that's not on your caseload and you don't understand the goal, it's really stressful. It's happened. Mm -hmm. Like you, I think it's really important to make sure everyone's on the same page where you're working because you really could share clients a lot. Um, there's a, there was an ASHA article that talked, I think it was from a couple of years ago, but it talked a lot about going beyond just 80%, um, which really, hit home for me because I feel like in grad school, that's what was drilled to me was 80%, mm -hmm. 80%. Everything was 80%. Um, but why does it always have to be 80%? We talked to what Rachel said earlier, like she does between yeah. 60 and 80, maybe yeah. um, you could even go down to 50. Like it doesn't have to be, it could also be opportunities. Like think of social goals, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. How do you put a percentage on that? Um, mm -hmm. so it could be like eight out of 10 opportunities or whatever it is because they either do yeah. it or they don't percentages are sometimes really tricky. And then the last thing for kind of your goal formula, when you're making your goals that I wanted to touch on was, uh, adding the type and extent of prompting. And I've gotten better at this as I've gone on, because I definitely wasn't perfect at this when I started and I didn't totally do it. And then when I was looking back to update my goals, I was like, well, they have it, but only with minimal prompting, but mm -hmm. I didn't put that in the goal. So did they need it? So you really want to put in the goal, like did independently. Okay. Minimal prompting mm -hmm. with moderate prompting. And then you also want to put, if it's what type of prompting. So is it visual? Is it verbal? Are you showing them a carrier phrase and they can read that carrier phrase and okay, they got it. That would be like moderate visual prompting for me anyway. Um, everyone, I think I don't want to get too much into prompting because everyone has different hierarchies that they would say mm -hmm. prompting is, but I think it's important at least to put that in your goal for yourself so that you know, when they actually have mastered that goal that you want them to get mastered. That's a very good point. And I feel like when I started off my CF, I was just going with whatever the previous SLP yeah. did. And that, well, also it's hard because you come into a brand new caseload and you don't really know them super well, right. but the more that you, you know, you get to know them and mm -hmm. how they perform best, you are more likely to change that. Yeah, sure. definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, because I know we try to talk about CEU opportunities on each of our topics. So I just went to speechpathology.com, 
Um, if you guys don't know about them, I think it's $99 for a year. A year, yeah. And you can get as many, yeah, CEUs as you can. And, but I just typed in goal writing to their little search box and they seriously have a million different um, CEU courses, which is awesome. And they have ones that are very specific to some topics. They have a lot of um, school-based or IEP ones, but then they also have, I'm looking right now, like on the website, they also have ones specific to need. So they have one called writing goals to facilitate success with AAC, how to write smarter, you know, the acronym that Claire just went over, Mm -hmm. IEP goals, different strategies. They have ones for fluency, for language. So um, if you guys need help with that or feel like you could grow in that area, that's definitely a resource that you could um, check out because I found that pretty useful. I try and, Claire and I both try and do research in both of our, um, or in the area that we're covering on both of our different ends and then see what we come up with together. And that was one thing that I looked at because they have a ton of um, CEUs. So check that out for sure. And then I'm sorry. I'm, I swear. I don't, I'm not sick. I just keep losing my voice for some reason. (laughs) I think it's because this is the first day back and I'm talking more than I have. And that happened to me earlier. (laughs) And I told Nick, I was like, um, it's not that I have a sore throat, but he was like, no, you just haven't been talking this much. (laughs) I think that's it because my voice keeps like going in and out and I'm like, what's happening, but I've been talking all day. Whereas before the last two weeks, I've just been sitting on the couch. So I guess that's probably it. Um, so sorry in advance, if you keep hearing me clear my throat, but so I think we wanted to talk now a little bit on specific disorder areas pertaining to making goals and kind of what Rachel and I do. Um, and you'll hear us say, you know, this is just general, obviously we don't know your caseload. We don't know the kids you have, um, you know, them better than anyone, but just as kind of a rule of thumb and just to give you some guidance with some of these disorder areas, how you can make goals for them. Uh, so the first one we wanted to talk about would be goals for articulation and Claire, I have a question Yeah, because I've seen some very wonky IEPs. Do you, (laughs) when writing goals for articulation, do you favor specific sounds? So like, would you write a goal for K and G Mm -hmm. or I've seen writing a goal just for age appropriate sounds? Oof. I've never done a goal for it. No, I would say specific all the way. Really? That's super surprising. Please yeah. Don't <laughs> and no, and I like immediately amended that. And I was like, I don't, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, and that's so hard because there are constantly new articles out saying this should be the age of mastery for this mm-hmm. sound. This should be the mastery level. Like, you don't know. That's- I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on that because sure. one book says this. Now yes. they're saying ours should be at like seven when yeah. before it was. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Um, The other thing that I wanted to mention specifically for articulation, but it rolls over into almost all of our categories is there's a difference in goals for mastering a skill versus it being conversationally based. Mm-hmm. So mastering a skill would be, you can say your K's and G's in you know, isolation, in syllables, in words, in phrases, even in sentences. But the conversationally based <laughs> part of that was in conversations mm-hmm. with peers or with teachers or whatever, 
are they using that skill? And that's something that's super important to remember for all of these different categories. So I did want to point that out. Can I ask you a question? Because mm-hmm. I struggle that with this and you guys, if you listen to us, you'll, you know, that speech sounds is not like my favorite area. So I'm always looking for advice. Um, when you are identifying if they have it at the conversational level, like mm-hmm. how do you do that? So I will, that's a really good question. I will either like observe a conversation because this is the other thing is I'm getting thrown off. Sorry. The other thing is, no, I become a familiar listener and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they're great. Right. Exactly. Their, their teacher's still like, um, no, I'm really struggling or peers mm-hmm. are struggling. So usually what I do in that situation, one thing that definitely helps me would just be like simple rating skills for both the teacher and the parent just to gauge how they're feeling about it, but also listening to their speech in different contexts. So popping in the lunchroom and sitting with them and just listening to them talk to their friends, same thing in the classroom, maybe out on the playground. Um, or a lot of my artistic kids are already in groups. So I'll just give them a topic like at the beginning or end of our session. And they think it's like break time. Um, and just listen to the conversation that way. But that's a really good question because articulation can be tricky that way because you think they've nailed it. You know, you're saying it in sentences. So why wouldn't it carry over to conversations? Because I have kids like that too, that are just so in tune and smart and know what they're doing when they're with me, but then Mm -hmm. it all goes out the window when they're gone. So that's, that's the hardest part. I think of our tick is the generalization of it. Um, the next kind of related is goals for phonology, which is very different. Um, I at least personally word them very differently because if a phonological process is active, um, the percentage, it it kind of messes with your brain a little bit because Mm -hmm. let's say the phonological process is active 80% of the time. So you wouldn't want to say, like, it wouldn't even make sense to say they will not produce fronting with 80% accurate. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. So I word my phonological processing goals, like so-and-so will decrease the phonological process of fronting from 60% to less than 20% or to 20% or less, or however it is. Um, the cap is really nice because it, I think it mm-hmm. considers active practice, uh, active processes, 40% or less or 40% or more. Um, so sometimes I use that as a benchmark too. So maybe they're fronting a hundred percent of the time. So I want them to get down to 40%. So they're at least not, it's not considered an active process anymore. Um, but I think that's, it's hard to change our mindset because we're so used to setting goals with high percentages when you actually for phonological processing, you want them to decrease the amount of times Mm -hmm. they're using that process. So just a different way to think about it. Yeah. And I think I remember um, a couple years ago, actually in my CF here, I was split between my elementary school that I'm at now and a preschool. Mm -hmm. And in preschool, you get a lot more goals for phonological processes Mm -hmm. just because it's age appropriate and coming out of that age and whatnot. And I think I remember texting our um, grad school group, which includes Claire and two other friends. And I was like, guys, how do I write this goal to make sense? Because the not with the high percentage sounds so junky. So that's a really good point to make for sure. Definitely. Um, the next again, kind of related is for apraxia. I'm not going to get into this too much because again, apraxia, I think could be an entire, um, show for us 
at some point, but I always look at syllable structure first, especially if it's a child that's super unintelligible. Um, you want them to just start with basic syllable structure. So CV, VC, CVC. And so you want to look at, um, you know, the consonant vowel, consonant vowel structure, and then the, the amount of syllables and the types of sounds that are going with one another instead of the specific sounds, because you're working on that motor plan. You're not necessarily focused on specific speech sounds. Um, so rest is really good for that. I've talked about this in other episodes, the rapid transition um, or the rapid syllable transition protocol. Um, it's nice because it, you can kind of word your goals to meet the certain aspects of rest. So if you use that protocol, that's, it gives you the goals essentially, which is really nice. And then um, you also want to make functional goals. So repetition of maybe the same couple stimulus words or phrases that they can't. And I've said this earlier that they are needing to say to be functional in their life. So again, maybe thank you, maybe their name, whatever it is. Um, so-and-so will produce their 10 core phrases with in seven out of 10 times or whatever it is. Um, that's a really good goal because repetition is everything with apraxia. So you may work on those 10 same phrases and words for a long time. And that's okay. But again, the goal is to really increase their intelligibility, even if it's not perfect speech sound. So you might really focus on wording your goals in a way of increasing intelligibility instead of accuracy, because they might say, um, for example, I have a, I have someone with apraxia right now that we, she really likes Paw Patrol, but she can't say Paw Patrol. So we say Paw Patrol, and that's how she communicates Paw Patrol. It's not perfect. It's not all the sounds, but she's co-articulating those sounds so that it makes it known what she wants instead of leaving off sounds or completely having an unintelligible utterance. So um, I think it's important when you're looking at goals to look at function as with everything, but especially with apraxia, because if you just drill speech sounds, you're not going to get very far. I'm, I feel like this is, <clears throat> I know I've shared this before, but apraxia is definitely an area that I could grow in because I've only had um, one. <clears throat> now I'm doing it. Oh my goodness. No. It's because we're talking. <laughs> it's because we're talking a lot. Yeah. So I've only had one student with apraxia and it was years ago. So that's definitely an area that I can grow. And I'm going to add that to my list. Yay. <laughs> uh, the next is goals for language. So this, I, I want to split it up because I think like EI early intervention language is very different than school, what we do in a school age setting. So for early intervention, um, if you're in like outpatient or a preschool or an early start program, for me, when I was an outpatient, um, the way I was kind of taught and the way I adapted to the goals was to always look at communicating their wants and needs. So a child comes to you and they're not talking at all. They're not signing. They're not pointing. They're not communicating. That's the first goal I start with. I literally say so-and-so will communicate their wants and needs. And I usually say like either through word noise or, or sign. Like mm -hmm. I leave it very open. I don't care if they're just pointing to something, if they're like swinging their arm in that direction, that's mm -hmm. what I want them to be able to communicate. So very, very basic. The PLS gives you a really good guide. I think for goals, I know it's a monstrosity of a, of an assessment, 
but it is fantastic it is. looking at your goals. It lays it out so nicely for what the ages should be. And I just start with what they don't have. And that's a goal. Like that number is a goal. They don't have joint mm-hmm. attention. Okay. That's a goal. They mm-hmm. don't have turn-taking play. That's a goal. Um, imitating actions, imitating words. It has just really basic early language skills that can guide your goals. Um, now I've never worked in a preschool, so this may be different. When I worked in the outpatient setting, um, ours were only for six months. So I, I don't know if in a preschool it might, you might need to juice up your goals a little bit because hopefully they'll meet some of these more basic ones quicker than just six months. Who knows? It depends on the mm-hmm. kid. Um, but that for early intervention is kind of where I start. When I write these early intervention language goals, I always remember because so much of early intervention in general is play-based mm-hmm. that if I'm writing the goal and it can't be accomplished during like a play session, yes. that it's probably too challenging for them. Yeah. That's such a good point because that's what you're going to be doing with them. A mm-hmm. Two or three-year-old is not going to sit at a table and do flashcards with you. Yeah. Just- no, you're on the floor and you're in yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So then school age language, the way that's different is these goals are more so in line with your curriculum standards for your state or county or whatever it is. Um, and I feel like, like I had the curriculum printed out in my office and that's what mm-hmm. I would reference to kind of guide those expressive receptive language goals. Yeah. I feel like a test like the self gives you a good place to start off, right? If they have low scores in these areas, you can kind of look at the subtests and, you know, see where their deficits are and kind of go from there. But the other important part is to remember to make it like Claire said, like realistic and functional. Um, I also mentioned earlier that there's a difference between mastering the skill versus it being conversationally based. So I've seen a lot of goals and I've written goals for specifically synonyms and antonyms. And then you also see goals that are for forming grammatically and semantically correct sentences. So there's kind of a wide range for that. One thing I did want to highlight because I think it's super important is super duper products. They do a really good job with tying all of their materials specifically to standards. So for example, I'm on the super duper website right now. I just picked a random uh, material, which is the saying glue for language and listening. And when you're looking at it, you know, it tells you all of the wonderful things that are in the book, but there's a little blue bar at the top called standards. So then when you click on it, it asks what country you're in. It looks like they have seven or eight different countries. So I picked the U.S., then I picked Michigan. And then it specifically says in kindergarten, the standard for using this material is to follow basic oral directions. In first grade, the specific standard for using this material is to follow two-step oral directions all the way up to third grade is to do this. So that's a super helpful tool. I go back and I have used that for um, numerous occasions because that's awesome. I didn't know they had that. Yeah. And they have it on almost all of their materials. I haven't found one that they don't. And you can also click like more information next to each standard tied to age. And it gives you um, the specific standard, which would be conventions of standard English. And then the number, which is to demonstrate a command of the conventions of standard English grammar and usage when writing or speaking. And then the smaller one or the one you're really working on would be to use frequently occurring prepositions. So 
I don't know. I think that's a really useful thing because I know Super Duper is very popular. I did look on a couple different um, other speech websites like Speech Corner and um, a couple others, and none of them really have standards. So mm-hmm. that I think that's a plus for Super Duper. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the next kind of area is social language. So I know we kind of said before, I really like to word mine like opportunity based because mm-hmm. I've had this talk with a lot of SLPs. I feel like, how do you measure a social skill? Like, I don't even, I still struggle with it. I don't even know. It's yeah. so hard to make a social goal because you can't, the unit of measurement is just so odd. Like they either do it or they don't. Yeah. So I don't do percentages for mm-hmm. social language because of everything you just said. I'll right. usually do this many opportunities out of this many. Mm-hmm. Um, although I like, I'm trying to think I have a student right now that has a goal for avoiding interruptions mm-hmm. because they always just want to talk about what they want to talk about. That's mm-hmm. one that I may do a percentage for, but even then, yeah, it, it that's when you'd have to have the two measurement quantifier with the right. percentage in this many sessions, because you have to know what you're measuring. If yeah. And if you're in the stage of like teaching the skills, so if you're showing them facial expressions and having them identify an emotion, that could probably be an, a percentage because mm-hmm. they either, they got it right or wrong, whichever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing or, like, um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, or something like inferences, right? Yes. Like you, you are, can either infer that this is happening or you don't, but you're right. Conversationally based. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's like turn taking right. or even like Making eye content. content. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Social language is a tough one. Um, but I think, I think my social language goals, especially for older kids tend to be more general mm-hmm. because you're not, you're not teaching the discrete skill anymore. It's, it's really just a conversation that you're having with them and you're seeing if they're appropriately having conversation. So yeah. The next one, we were both going to start. I know. (laughs) The next one is kind of similar. However, so the next category would be fluency. That's our last one. And that's very similar. However, you can give percentages, like if you're measuring disfluencies, but Claire had a really good point was to never do 0% because it's mm-hmm. just unrealistic. It just would never happen. Like mm-hmm. I would never have 0% disfluency right. in my speech. It's just, and it's also setting them up for failure kind of, because if you're always looking for a hundred percent, it's just not fair to them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've done it both ways though. And Rachel, I'm curious to see how you write them. Um, I've done will increase their fluency from, 80% to 90%. And then I've also done, will decrease their disfluencies from 12% to 6% or whatever it is. And I, I don't know which one I like more. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I usually write decrease disfluencies okay. because to me, that sounds like they're doing more when in reality, it's the exact same thing. Right. right? I know it's, it's all about the wording. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's totally about the wording. And I think that's another one where like, look at your colleagues and see what they're Mm -hmm. doing and probably keep it consistent so that it's not all over the place. Um, but another goal for fluency that I really like using is talking to new people per session. So I'll say, we'll talk to one 
new peer per session, or we'll talk to one new peer per month, even if it's not realistic to do it per session. Um, telepractice has made this more challenging. However, I'll usually just, I'll either have Alex, my fiance come in, or I'll have one of my colleagues like pop up on telepractice and do it, Mm -hmm. or I'll have them make a phone call. Um, it's just, you gotta be kind of creative with that, but I think it's really good to get them talking, especially for fluency, to get them talking to someone that's not you, because I think fluency more than any other disorder area is so based on that comfort level. Like my kids get so comfortable with their strategies with me Mm -hmm. and then they don't use them with anybody else. So I think it's really important to do that and do it early on so that they're used to getting out of their comfort zone with you. Well, and I like that you include that as a goal, Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, with my students, you know, first thing we always talk about what their goals are in the beginning of the year. What are we working on? Why do you come to see Mrs. Hensel? Um, and I think if they know one of their goals is that they're going to be talking to new people and in different situations and scenarios, that way they're at least expecting it and they're going to be more familiar with it as opposed to surprise right so-and-so is here and now we're going to talk to them because that can be very anxiety inducing um because that's happened to some of my students and I thought it was going to be like a beneficial thing and it backfired and I was like oh no this is not how that was supposed to go so I think that's a really good idea yeah um, real quick before we end, I know this, we could go on and on about goals. We already have for kind of a while. So thank you for sticking with, with us on this one. Um, but I just wanted to share some websites that have some goal banks that are really great guides. If you're looking for, oh my gosh, I have no idea where to start with my apraxia student or mm-hmm. no idea where to start with my child working on L's or whatever. Um, speech room news has a really good goal bank. SLP now and the speech bubble are a couple that I have saved like in my material folder on my um, computer. And Mm -hmm. again, they're just, they just give you some nice topics to look at if you're really stuck on things. That's perfect too. So the, the important thing to remember is that goals should always be individualized and it's not Mm -hmm. a one size fits all approach because if I struggle with synonyms and Claire struggles with synonyms, but I can at least identify them but I don't have no clue how to use them in sentences and Claire's, you know, can't do either, then the same goal for both of us isn't going to make sense, but it's a really good place to get an idea of where to start, especially if you haven't had a student or you're not as familiar with fluency or with, for me, it would be apraxia. I would, I'm just going to be very honest. I would be a little lost and not know where to start other than the basics of you know, going back to Arctic, but really that's not a great approach when they have apraxia. So I think goal banks for that reason are very, very beneficial. Yeah, definitely. I think that's all we have. I think it is. That was so fun. Yeah. If you guys were listening to this and you have any questions or you want to share anything with us, feel free to message us, but that does wrap up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel on Instagram at super sweet speech. And if you or anyone, you know, is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speech is super sweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. 
Don't forget to check out our website, which is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure you like, rate, and review us. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And then Rachel and I also have an email for our podcast. If you want to quickly get in touch with us, let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Like Rachel said, let us know if you have any questions or suggestions. Let us know if you or someone you know would like to share some of your expertise on the show. We love talking to you guys and learning from you all. So please get in touch with, with us if you feel you can. And thank you guys so much for listening. Bye.